Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's happening in our community. And this week, Clyde is teaching, and he'll be continuing in our current Revelation series, Letters from God, Jesus' Words to His Church. And if you're a part of our Southview family, we do invite you to join with us in our fall building offering. This building has been a great tool that enables us to reach out to others with the love of Christ in very practical ways like tutoring, our community hub ministries, and life seminars. And this building is just a wineskin, but it's a very helpful and highly used wineskin. And your gift goes towards our mortgage and ongoing costs. And you can either give on site, online through the website, or by texting Southview to 73256. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us in this digital space, then we'd love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may your hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites all of us to bring all that we are, all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. So thankful Uh, that we can be joined together and come together in worship and in giving thanks, both here and as we're joining together online as well. And as Sam mentioned, we're going to come to God's Word and let it lead us uh, to receive from Christ in the table of communion together. And I want you to know that our biblical text today, it's not a typical one uh, for Thanksgiving weekend, Uh, but I'm trusting that it will lead us to giving thanks. Because we are continuing today in our study of the book of Revelation, and specifically in this series, to the letters from God, from Jesus, to seven churches in ancient Asia Minor, and with those letters through those churches, then receiving here from Jesus as he speaks to us. Now, last weekend, Arlene guided us in seeing that these seven churches They weren't new churches. They were established. They were seasoned churches. So really, in many ways, they were like us. And like our churches in our own day, each church had their own unique struggles and challenges and and really weaknesses. And so as we saw last weekend, the church in Ephesus and then in Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis, Jesus called all of them to devote their hearts and their minds and their actions and their very lives to Christ because each one of those churches had lost sight of one of those saints. But with the letter we're going to look at today, the letter to the church in the city of Smyrna, there's a different call from Jesus to that church because they face a different challenge. And the church in Smyrna and this letter it really then stands as a source of encouragement to every church in every age, in every city, to every follower of Jesus who to varying degrees have experienced suffering, like Smyrna. 
So let's read what Jesus said to them. And as you hear Jesus' words, can I encourage you, can you try to hear this as though Jesus is writing this to us today? Just try to think, how would I respond? How would we respond hearing these words from Jesus? We're in Revelation chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me, Revelation chapter 2. And as we come to it, remember, this is a word of God. And we pick it up in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Will not be hurt Jesus is saying, by the eternal judgment that comes against those who don't turn in faith to Jesus. So what would it be like to hear those words from Jesus? Do not fear what you are about to suffer. What? We're about to suffer? I mean, be thrown in prison? It really makes you ask the question, so what was going on in Smyrna? What was the church of Smyrna like? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us much about Smyrna. Actually, all we have in Scripture about the church in Smyrna are these four verses in Revelation. But what we do know, even from other sources, is that what was happening in the church in Smyrna, it was really unlike what the other six churches of Revelation were experiencing. Because the church of Smyrna was one of the only two churches in this revelation that received no rebuke, but only commendation from Jesus. Okay, I want you to be able to picture this. So here's the map again. Here's Smyrna in present-day Turkey. Out there, the far eastern part where that purple arrow is, that's Smyrna. And what else do we know about Smyrna? Well, we also know historically that Smyrna was a beautiful city. In fact, ancient writings speak of just what a stunning city it was, and it still is. Its modern name is now Izmir, right on the eastern coast of Turkey there. Here's a picture of Izmir there, and it's this beautiful harbor city right on the Aegean Sea. And even in ancient times, it was called the Pearl of the Aegean, or the Flower of Asia. Now today, if you want to go to the ancient ruins of Smyrna, they are really just kind of tucked away in a small section of the modern city. And you have this interesting, the ancient, right next to the contemporary in that city. And, and Smyrna is a very old city. It was first established in 3000 BC, or maybe even earlier. So it is actually one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities of the world. And its architecture was revered. In, in fact, around 700 BC, they built this stunning temple there to the goddess Athena. But it didn't end there because the main avenue, the main cardo of Smyrna, 
of that city. It also had a temple to Zeus at one end of the Cardo, and then a temple to goddess Sibyl at the other end. So this was a city, understand, consumed with worship of other gods and goddesses. In ancient Smyrna, it was also known to be this very attractive city because it was known for its music, for its culture, for its theater. And it was known to be really a trading center for the ancient world in that day. So there was a lot of wealth in Smyrna. And there was one other thing that also began to set Smyrna apart. And it's that they pledged allegiance to Rome and the Roman Empire. Smyrna was known to be one of the most faithful cities to Rome of the entire empire. And so, in fact, around 195 BC, they built another temple in Smyrna. But this time, it was a temple to worship and sacrifice to Rome and the Roman emperor. So, Smyrna, catch this. Smyrna was actually the crater of the goddess Roma. So the people of Smyrna, historians tell us, were more serious about worshiping the Roman emperor than many were in Rome itself. And, and that really hints at the dark side of this beautiful, wealthy city. Because the city began to rise up in resentment against these followers of Jesus who wouldn't worship Rome. And the persecution that the church began to experience in Smyrna it, it wasn't merely kind of verbal threats or just the threat of imprisonment, but it was a threat of death, of martyrdom. In fact, you might know the name of the great early church father, Polycarp. Polycarp, he was the bishop of Smyrna, and he was actually a direct disciple of the Apostle John who may have written this book. And at the age of 86, Polycarp was burned at the stake in the center of the city of Smyrna for refusing to renounce his faith in Christ. So it kind of gives you the picture. Smyrna was this, really, a spiritual battleground. It was a battle for light against the darkness. And the church there, they had remained faithful to Christ. So when Jesus says to this church through John in Revelation 2.9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. One dimension of what he's describing when he says you are rich is this special gift of intimacy, of honor, of knowing that is reserved in a unique way for women and men of faith across time. Who, even when all hell breaks loose upon them, they hang on to hope and to faith and to Christ, through it all faithful to the end. And those assurances are given us in other epistles. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, Romans 8, both speak of it. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he says this about his own experience with suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I'll tell you why. Because even in the middle of our affliction, crushing, perplexity, persecution, we hold on to an ultimate reality. We hold on to this reality, that even though the pain is unbearable at times, we believe this, Paul says, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Indeed, as horrific as our suffering is now, Paul says, he echoes it again in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider the suffering of this present time, it is not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us when Christ returns. There is a special eternal glory for those who suffer for their faith. So you might not feel it right now, Smyrna Church. You might feel impoverished, but I want to remind you, you have more wealth than you can even imagine. You know, you might know that even the name Smyrna, even its name is rich with meaning. Because the name of the city, perhaps in the divine providence of God, the name Smyrna means myrrh. Myrrh? Why'd they name the city Myrrh? For one, because Myrrh was a chief export of the city of Smyrna in ancient times. So this was a city that was focused on, was based on, and literally named for Myrrh. So what? Well, Myrrh, you might know, is a sweet-smelling perfume, and, and it was and still is extracted from a thorny tree of that region. Here's a picture for you of what those trees look like. And myrrh was used for many things, but quite often in Scripture, we see it used in the preparation of bodies for burial. And myrrh, or Smyrna, had some interesting connections with the life of Jesus. I'm sure you remember that at his birth, the Magi brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each one of those gifts was profoundly symbolic. Gold, it was a gift fitting for a king. Frankincense, that was used often in sacrifices to the worship of God. So it was a gift fitting for God in the flesh. And then myrrh, again, it was used often in the preparation of bodies for burial. So it was a gift fitting for one who had come to die. And then we move on to when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was there offered wine mixed with myrrh. And then at his burial, John 19 tells us, his body was prepared, as most were in that day, wrapped in linen and covered with Smyrna. You know, it's interesting to note that in order to extract that sweet aroma of myrrh from those very thorny trees, what they had to do, they had to wound or crush the tree. And it was out of that tree's crushing that would come this sweet-smelling, fragrant oil or resin. So the imagery here, it really is fairly strong. For, for Jesus, as he hung on the cross, being wounded and crushed for us, in his crushing, in his dying, he had oozing from him Smyrna. The aroma of new life born out of death, oozing from him not only blood that the people could actually physically see, but also from him this fragrance of hope of myrrh. And really, what was true of Christ is true of his church. Men and women of faith who, when afflicted, imprisoned, and persecuted, who, when crushed, yield Smyrna, like this fragrance of praise to God. And the pictures are graphic ones, aren't they? And really, I think it raises a question for me. I think for us. What fragrance do I yield 
when I get crushed. I mean, the truth is, I've, I've never been crushed. Not like these faithful ones have. I mean, I've been disappointed. Maybe I've experienced hardship, but not like these. Because the actual crushing that the church in Smyrna endured, it was manifested, Revelation 2 tells us, in three areas. Look again at verse 9. For Jesus says to them, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not. So three ways that they were being crushed day by day were tribulation, another word for that is afflictions, poverty, and slander. Now, I want you to understand this. The poverty they experienced, it was specifically related to the fact that they wouldn't engage in this emperor worship. Because the thing was, in Smyrna in that day, if you didn't burn incense and worship at Caesar's temple, you wouldn't be given the certificate needed, kind of the union card needed, to actually work. So that's why they were poor. They couldn't work. And understand this, the original Greek word used in Revelation 2 for poverty here, understand, it doesn't mean they only had one car and not two. It doesn't mean they couldn't afford TV cable channels. It meant they were, the original Greek word is tokos, and that word means beggar. That was them. They were dependent on begging just to live. It meant they had nothing. Because they went bound down to and worshiped Caesar. And then the tribulation they experienced included extreme physical affliction. Some things are called persecution in our day that I think miscommunicates what actual persecution is about. They experienced extreme persecution. In fact, the Roman historian Tacitus recorded their refusal to worship the emperor and instead remain faithful to Christ. He said that it led some of them being thrown to lions just as sport. Also, they would wrap them in skins of animals and throw them to wild dogs. They would be dipped in tar and lit as human torches. Some of them here were beheaded. Others were crucified. Really, is a kind of a mockery of their desire to be like Jesus, whom they loved. And even so, Jesus said in his letter to these people, but do not fear. Okay, why? Because although you will be dragged away to prison and the enemy will have his way with you, it will only be for 10 days. Where do you see that? Verse 9, you may be tested, and for 10 days, you will have tribulation. 10 days, like literally 10 days? I mean, 10 days is hard, but I can handle a week and a half. And, and this is where we really need to go back to our introductory teaching in Revelation, where we noted then, if you remember, that most numbers in the book of Revelation, they are symbolic. So these 10 days that are listed here, are almost certainly not a literal 10 days. Most likely, it means this in Revelation 2. Persecuted church, you need to understand, please hang on, you need to know that in the grand scheme of things, in light of eternity, what you're experiencing right now in your life, it's like just 10 days. It's just a short time. Even though for some of you, this 10 days will end in death. 
Again, the Apostle Paul back in 2 Corinthians 4, listen again to what he says in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction, and again, that's the same Greek word there, that word affliction, that's the same Greek word that is translated as tribulation in Revelation 2. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And let's remember this, by light momentary affliction, Paul isn't talking about a bad week, right? He's not talking about a difficult month. He is talking about the light momentary afflictions that his entire life in ministry, in following Jesus, had been. But in contrast to eternity, it's only like 10 days. In fact, that's why James, in James chapter 4, calls this life just a vapor. It's just like a mist. It's here and then it's gone. And we are called to be faithful, friends, for just this one life, this brief life, which, again, in light of eternity, is not very long at all. And so the tribulations that we have to endure in this life, they are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And and let me remind us of something we need to know about martyrs like these, about, about those who give up their lives because of their faith in Jesus. They're not necessarily any bigger. They're not any physically stronger. They're not necessarily any tougher than you or me. But they all believed and believed something fundamentally. And really, this belief oozes out of them when they get crushed. Because what every single martyr in the history of the church believed was this. That there is more to life than what I see. There is more to life than just these years, this life. Because what they believe is this. They believe that the living one who is dead is alive now forevermore. And he is the one, not the enemy, he is the one who holds the keys of death and hell. Which means that suffering and death, as horrific as they may be, do not get the last word in our lives. And because that belief was in them, guess what oozed from them when they got crushed? Faith, fidelity, and a sweet-smelling fragrance. You know what it was? It was Smyrna. You ever wonder how you would respond to those kind of threats? You know, to to that kind of suffering, if we truly did get this kind of letter from Jesus? You wonder how you'd respond? (laughs) I mean, I do. And, And when we hear the persecuted church kinds of stories, I mean, when you hear the suffering of men and women of faith around the globe, when you hear those who suffered so greatly on account of Christ, you you really wonder. How would I respond in those kind of situations? And I would guess that many, if not most of us, would say, I don't think I'd do very well. I mean, we hear these stories and we think, I don't think I'd be able to stand up like that. I admire it hugely people who do. But I don't think I could do it. I, I think I'd cave in pretty quickly. And let me suggest this about that. 
if your faith is phony, meaning if, if your faith isn't real, if you're just kind of playing a religious game, and again, I'm, I'm not talking about if your faith is weak, because if your faith is weak, it's still real. I'm saying if you have a phony faith, if this is kind of just a religious game to you, crushing will reveal that. And that's why there weren't any hypocrites in the church in Smyrna. That's why Jesus didn't have any words of correction or rebuke for them. Because the thing is, when the heat gets turned up, phony people, they don't stay around. People who are using God or trying to manipulate God to get God to do their agenda, when, when those people don't get their way and then the heat turns up, they bail. I mean, crushing experiences of life, they reveal phony faith. But if your faith is real, and I didn't say if it was great, I didn't say if it was strong, but if your faith is real, and maybe even mixed in with a lot of pain, or maybe with questions, or doubt, or even stumblings, but if it is real, and truly you love Jesus, although imperfectly, the crushing will reveal that as well. Because although now it, it's hard to imagine, oozing out of you will simply be what's authentically in you. And if what is in you is living faith, in that day of trial, while right now we sit in comfort and kind of think, I don't think I could handle that. But if within you is authentic faith in Christ, what will come oozing out of you in that day of trial will be faith, fidelity. And it will have the aroma of myrrh. And, and let's be really clear as we're talking about this. Persecution for following Jesus, not, that's not just some distant historical reality. It happens today. In fact, you might note that in the past century, more Christians have been killed for following Jesus than in all the previous centuries combined. And I, I want this to be more than just kind of numbers and stats for us. So let's actually listen to the story of one young Christian's experience in our own day. His name is Mohan. He was from India. And this is a story from Open Doors Ministry. Let's watch this together.
बीमार पड़ा और स्कूल गए नहीं पाया मम्मी भी बीमार थी वो भी मैं मेंटल सा था मुझे गुस्सा आता था उसको मारने के लिए पत्थर जो भी मिला उसे मारते थे मैं सर्च में गए तो हमको सामने बिठा के और और बच्चे हमारे भला वो करके वो दुआ मांगते थे प्रभु ऐसी नींद में था तो अचानक लाइट की तरह हम इधर आके बैठा जैसा हो गया तो मेरे आके खुल गए जैसा हो गया मैं और बहुत दिन था जब मैंने शांति आसपास एक छोटा सा झोपड़ी था उसमें रहते थे और खेत में हमको नांगने नहीं देते और खुद के यहाँ कोई साधन नहीं था बैल वगैरह कुछ भी नहीं था प्रभु ने जो कुछ पहले था ना तो उसमें हमको विश्वास में लाए तो प्रभु नहीं छोड़ सकते जब तुम नाना प्रकार की परीक्षा में पढ़ो तो इसको पूरे आनंद की बात समझो यह जानकर कि तुम्हारे विश्वास के के जाने से धीरज उत्पन्न होता है पर धीरज को अपना पूरा काम करने दो कि तुम पूरे और सिद्धा हो जाओ और तुमने किसी बात की घटी न रहे even though you seldom if ever hear it said in the news i mean currently it's followers of jesus it is christians 
who are the most persecuted religious group in the world. In, in fact, the Pew Research Center notes that the persecution of Christians is worse today than at any time in history. I mean, it's estimated over 250 million Christ followers across 60 countries currently endure high levels of persecution for their faith in Jesus. And in Asia, it is one out of every three followers of Christ who experienced high levels of persecution. That's, that's why the first Sunday of every November each year, November 6th this year, it is set aside to be the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we'll be letting you know more about that as that date approaches. But the good news? Consider China, where the Protestant church has grown from about 1.3 million members in 1949, and that was when Christianity was outlawed and the Western missionaries were expelled from the country. But the church there has since grown to about 80 to 100 million followers of Jesus today. Because the good news of Jesus, it won't be contained. And I know the numbers are just kind of hard to grasp. So let me share with you one other story. Uh, Dr. Perinju Job, he shares another true story from many years ago of a family in a small village. It was in the state of Assam, which is just a bit south of the Himalayan mountains. A husband, and his name was Nak Singh, and his wife and their two sons, they heard about Jesus from missionaries in the area, and they turned to follow Jesus as their king and lord. But this upset the village so much, because it was almost entirely Hindu, and everyone within it became so agitated that a mob came into their home and dragged them out into the village square. And there the village chief confronted them and said to Nak Singh, if you and your family will not recant your faith, if you will not reject this Jesus, you will all die right here. So what do you do in that moment? I mean, Nak Singh certainly didn't know what to say or do. But the words of Jesus from John chapter 12, uh, 12 apparently came to his mind. And, and that's where Jesus said, whoever loves this life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Therefore, if anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me. And so Nak Singh, he began quoting those words from Jesus, and then he declared, we have decided to follow Jesus. And, and with that declaration of faith, the townspeople killed his two sons. And the village chief then warned him again, demanded he reject Jesus. So this young Christ follower said again, we follow Jesus. Upon which they killed his wife. And then, after being forced in horror to watch as his wife and two sons were killed, he just continued to declare, we follow Jesus. So they killed him also. And we tend to think, what a tragic waste. But that family's declaration of faith in Christ, in the face of death, had this unexpected and transforming impact because having watched up close the authenticity and devotion of their faith, the village chief turned in faith to Christ. And then in time, the entire village 
came to declare their faith in Jesus, who was proclaimed so vividly by this family. Now, even that, though that happened out in the Himalayas, that story of Nak Singh and his family, it began to spread. And on hearing that story, there was an Indian minister. His name was Simon Merrick. And he used Nak Singh's declaration from that village square to form the words of a new hymn that many of you have sung. And we now call, I have decided to follow Jesus. All because in that square, someone stood in faith. And now we sing of it around the globe. So before we come to the table of communion and receive from Jesus in this meal, Lean is going to lead us in that declaration. And I recognizing, understand this, recognizing that the only reason that any of us decides to follow Jesus is because God in his grace has first reached out in love and enables us through his spirit to turn to him in faith. Even our faith is all of him. So let's actually, let's listen prayerfully as Leland brings us that song from Nuxing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go
you bow your heads and pray with me? And before I pray, can we all in, in silent prayer, let's in this moment pray for those in our day who are enduring persecution. Uh, though you might not know any names, let's pray that they would know God's hope, peace, strength, and deliverance. Can we do that just in silent prayer right now before I pray? Father, we give you thanks and worship for the gift of new life in Jesus and for our brothers and sisters who endure persecution for their faith. We ask, would you rescue them, spare them? Would you give them hope, strength, wisdom in Christ? Would you empower them by your Holy Spirit as they suffer? Would you use their testimony to spread the good news of Jesus? And Father, I, I pray for us as well, gathered here and, and law, online, I, I pray we would receive from you now, even as we receive of the bread and cup. Father, would you cause these to be spiritual food for us and to lift us, even those here who are walking through times of challenge and suffering. For we come with thanksgiving and come to you in the name of Jesus. And again, all God's people say, amen. So friends, we come to this table and we remember that as we come, we come remembering the Lord who's acquainted with grief. He's familiar with suffering and he invites us to receive from him. So if your faith is in him, if you want Jesus, perhaps for the first time even today, I invite you to take the cup that you have before you and if you take off the bread at the top, We have hope because we come to the one who is acquainted with grief and the one whose body was broken for you. So take and receive from him. And then with the cup, We come remembering even as we drink this cup of the words of Paul who said, keep in perspective the light momentary afflictions that you walk with in this life. They cannot even be compared with the weight of glory that is waiting for us in life to come. And we have that hope because the blood of Christ was poured out for you, received from him. Let's pray together. And our Father, how we thank you. You seek to lead us, feed us, nourish us. And I pray even as we walk in this week, we would be guided by you. And in moments, Father, where there's a fork in the road where we have a chance to follow ourselves or to follow you, we pray by your spirit you would empower us to follow Jesus. And we thank you that you go with us from this place, from these gatherings, from wherever we are. We thank you you are with us. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends? And, and let me just mention this as well. If, if you'd like some guidance in how to pray for the persecuted Christ followers, the persecuted church around the world, 
You can go to our website this week, and there are going to be two prayer guides there for us to use in praying for the persecuted church as we walk through these days. And I encourage you to come back next weekend, because next weekend we're going to look at what could be Jesus' letter to the North American church. I think it could be very close to what we're going to look at. And I do encourage you to stop by the serving table before you head out and walk into this week. Our gathering isn't over now. This is time to hang out together, maybe say hello to someone you haven't seen before. But as you walk in this week, whatever it does hold for you, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of his Holy Spirit, this week you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in his peace, amen.